Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Thank you, Kristen, for playing that offertory this morning. If you have a prayer slip or visitor slip, if you'd pass that uh, to the center aisle, we'd like to collect that and we'll pray for you this week. Um, Kristen was playing this morning. Jared and Nell and the family are suffering for Jesus in Tennessee and trust they'll have a time of refreshment on that trip. This morning we're going to be looking at redemption, God's redemption to us through Jesus Christ. And um, Paul spends a lot of time in um, Romans 3 outlining the importance of this message. And so commentators through the ages have said Romans 3, 21 through 26 is probably the most important paragraph within the most important book in the Bible, which is quite a claim. And so I've slowed the pace on purpose uh, during these days with such a strong endorsement. I want us to really be conversant in these things and for them to be uppermost in our mind. Uh, My prayer for us is that the truth set forth in this passage would be the the foundation of our lives and that our hearts would be filled with surrender and worship for what God has done through us through Jesus Christ. That you would see him as your redeemer this morning. Uh, Once again, I'm reminded why I preach the Bible coming to passages like this and why we gather for worship Our approach to ministry really is to to give ourselves to the steady, uh, long-term commitment to God's Word. Um, Sometimes people are looking for quick answers and quick fixes, and I've just seen a lot of things in the years of ministry that come and go, strategies that come and go, dog and pony shows that come and go, and nothing replaces really the long-term commitment to the Word of God, to allow it to plow into our lives and to grow together in the grace and knowledge of Christ. I don't want to be, uh, uh, I don't want those under the ministry of this local church to be weak and anemic, but healthy and vibrant. I'm reminded of Psalm 1 that describes the believer as one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor in the course of this world, but his delight, her delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, they meditate day and night and they'll be like a tree planted by the streams of water. I long for that to be true of us in this church, that whatever we're involved in knows the prosperity of God as he defines it. But also I was reminded of Isaiah 61, which is a prophecy that Jesus referred to as he began his ministry in the synagogue in Nazareth. He, says, he said that the spirit of the Lord is upon me And then it closes in Isaiah by saying that God would grant comfort to those who mourn and give them a beautiful headdress and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks, oaks of righteousness. And so I've been praying for that this week, that God would make us as a church oaks of righteousness for his praise and glory, sturdy to stand whatever may come. For many, Christ is, is, is not the center of their lives. You can't be an oak of righteousness or the tree that was described in Psalm 1 if Jesus is an appendage to your life. The lucky um, rabbit's foot redeemer that we pull out and rub when we, we want, you know, a parking spot or something to go our way. 
Many are so consumed by their hobbies and their vocation and entertainment and their relationships and their sex lives and money and computer games and online fixations that Christ is not the center of their lives. He's on the periphery. Wouldn't deny him outright, but as far as being the center and the Lord of one's life, he is not. Romans 3, 21 through 26 is a call for that to change. And I pray that through my preaching this morning, that would happen in your life and mine. It says um, in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been revealed apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Jude, I think I'm breaking up again, and so why don't we just make the truth. Verse 21, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So the righteousness of God, if you want to be a righteous person, one way that you could do that, if it was possible, is by keeping the law perfectly. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Because of our failure, we have not kept the Ten Commandments. We have not kept uh, God's law. We, we have not uh, displayed the righteousness of God. That's the whole point of Romans 1 through 3. So the law and the prophets, he says, spoke to this, this righteousness of God that would be revealed outside of the law. And that is found in the person of Christ, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. To be right with God, one must be righteous, which poses a problem for all of us because we are not. But God has made a way for sinners to be made righteous, uh, declared righteous in his sight, and that's by faith in the righteous one, Jesus Christ. That's why his death on the cross is so significant. It's because he lived on this earth and never sinned. He obeyed the law of God completely. So whether Jew or Gentile, all have fallen short of God's glory. We've been justified by his grace as a gift, he says here in this text. It's a gift, the gift of God. So through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, which he says in verse 24... Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Of the many titles that we give to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's Lord. He's Savior. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He's the great I Am. He's the great shepherd of of God's people. One of his favorite self-designations was the Son of Man. Which we took from Daniel 7. But this morning, we're going to be looking at the title, Redeemer. He's our Redeemer. That's an intimate term. It's an intimate title. It emphasizes the cost he paid to bring salvation to us. It's one thing to be declared righteous in the courtroom of God, which is justification. We like legal declarations, don't we? In our favor. (laughs) In our favor. Innocent, righteous, which is the case when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous in the courtroom of heaven. That's a work of God. That's a work of God. 
We love to be declared righteous, but there's more to his redemption than a legal declaration. I love the pictures and we'll fill them in. One is that we're adopted as a son, but here our redeemer has come and purchased us by his blood. Through the years, Christians have sung of this redemption. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. All hail, Redeemer, hail. Another hymn declares, For thou hast died for me, your praise and glory shall not fail throughout eternity. So the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, for there's no distinction. So our focus this morning, I want to look at 23 and 24. 23 and 24. And I want to begin with first, if you're following along with your insert, and I know you always do, is gospel pillars. Gospel pillars. What we're looking at here is understanding the message of the Bible, understanding what God has done through Jesus Christ, understanding how this intersects your life, whether you're going to embrace this or not, by looking at some gospel pillars. Many of us have been impacted by the Roman road. We've mentioned that in previous messages. And what what are these gospel pillars? The first would be sin. All have sinned. Verse 23, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're not good enough. We can't make it on our own. We, we fall short of the glory. What does that mean? Fall short of the glory of God. That Greek word for fall short is often translated lack. Literally, all have sinned and lacked the glory of God. It's not speaking of, of being as glorious as God. The best exposition of Romans 3.23 is Romans 1.23, which says... We've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We've taken the revelation of who God is and we've worshipped idols instead of him. We've lacked the glory of God. He is awesome and we've traded him in for what? Video games, pornography, careers, health, family, fame, sex. We've exchanged the glory of God for these idols. The whole life orbit should revolve around, our life's orbit should revolve around the glory of God, and it doesn't. We've taken our treasure and traded it like Esau for a bowl of beans. And this is high treason against the God of heaven. And we deserve judgment because we've treated the glory of God with disdain. And it it even infiltrates the way we, we, we live the Christian life, even as believers, if we're not careful to do battle with it and to understand that what God has called us to and that we view church as a passing weekend hobby to get back to what's really important on Monday morning. (laughs) And so we scorn the glory of God. We fall short of the glory of God. 
We've created, uh, we were created for God's glory. In fact, we were looking this morning in our Bible study at the glories of heaven and how often heaven just, the balloon of heaven, which should be full and exciting, has basically what sin has done to that glorious hope presented to us in scripture has taken a pen and popped it because heaven is viewed as an entitlement instead of the dwelling place of God around the throne in perfect worship and perfect work and perfect rest and perfect adventure. We were created for God's glory and we've seen all manners of dysfunction and abuse, all human beings, all of them in rebellion against the reason that he is who he is. And people don't want to hear much of this. We don't want to hear that we're undone, that we got problems. And so people try to drink it out of existence or play it out of existence or snort it out of existence. Someone described, actually it was John Piper describing a memory of his father who was an evangelist, describing the pull of sin on humanity, the human condition said Bill Piper. The human condition is like a vulture soaring, looking for carrion. (laughs) And he sees a dead goat on an ice float on the Niagara River. And he lands and he begins to eat. And he watches the waterfall. And the vulture has done this many times before and he knows the right moment. He can get off the ice float He is sin in the human condition and eating all the stuff he's not meant to eat and he shouldn't be there. He should be soaring. He's just, and just when he sees the waterfall coming, the Niagara waterfall coming, he stretches his broad self-sufficient wingspan to lift off the ice float, but his talions are stuck frozen into the ice. And he goes over the falls to his death and destruction. That is where most live. And the appeal is don't stay with sin. See yourself having fallen short of God's glory and the hope to be restored to him found in a faith relationship with Jesus Christ which is available to you this very morning if you would call out to him. Many are like Esau who plead for repentance and cannot find it. Oh, I didn't know that was possible. You cannot manage your redemption. The call to respond to the gospel is today. And Hebrews 12 is an important text because it describes Esau, the older of the twins from Isaac and Rebekah, who had the birthright. And Hebrews 12 describes describes him that he sought for repentance but couldn't find it. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Draw near to him. And so this gospel pillar of sin, all have sinned, we lack the glory of God, is an important thing to embrace because it helps us to see that unless something's done, we're under judgment. And the glory of the gospel is this, that God has presented Christ that we might be delivered from that sentence of death. And we receive this gift 
which is from by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Come with me secondly from these gospel pillars to really to trace redemption through God's word. I was amazed when I looked in my concordance at all the references to redemption in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Redeem, redeemed, redemption. Verse 24 of Romans 3 We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament, redemption is a is a rich a rich picture. Uh, One who did not receive redemption died. And so the Hebrew concept of kofar um, is best understood in this way. Suppose a man uh, owned an ox, and this is described in a Exodus, maybe in your Bible reading program, you come to Exodus and you say, why are they talking about a man if his ox gets loose and gores somebody that he could be in big trouble? Well, this idea of redemption is seen even in the civil law of Israel. Suppose a man owned an ox and he he gored somebody to death. And as an accident, this would be viewed as manslaughter rather than homicide. The owner would be fined. But what if there was negligence by the owner? And the ox had a history of hurting people. Kind of like the neighborhood pit bull who gets out and harasses people. This ox is out again. Through negligence. So under the civil law of Israel, the owner of the ox could be put to death. By the death inflicted by the ox. He would be required to forfeit his life for the one whose life had been taken. And this seems to be kind of a double tragedy. Two deaths. So the Old Testament law provided a way by which if the owner could come to terms with the relatives of the deceased, it would be possible for him to pay a ransom price instead of dying. This ransom price was called the kofar. When the Lord Jesus Christ died for us, his death was a kofar that freed us from sin's power. His death delivered us from death. There were thousands of people crucified under the Roman rule. His death was unique for this purpose. It was a ransom. To be redeemed by his blood means life. There's another term in the Old Testament that takes us to the book of Ruth. This idea of a kinsman redeemer. And Jewish law uh, stated that property should remain within a family. If a Jewish person lost his or her share of the land through debt or by some other means, a solemn duty came to a near relative to keep that from happening. So this man, because of a close relative or relationship to the one who had lost the property, was a kinsman. And if willing and able, would purchase the property and restore it to the family, he would be the kinsman redeemer. So in some cases, there, there would be no male heir in, to inherit the property. And so the duty of the kinsman extended to marrying the widow in order to raise up heirs. Again, in Israelite history. The kinsman redeemer had three duties. He had to be a close relative. He had to be willing to take on his responsibilities so he wasn't forced to do it. He did it of his own free volition. And he had to have means to pay the ransom, which brings us to the book of Ruth. 
And if you're familiar with Ruth, Ruth is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. But she was a Moabite. And we read of her story, she married one of the sons of Elimelech and Naomi. And her husband died. And the men died. And so it was, it was Ruth and Naomi. This Moabite daughter, daughter-in-law and Naomi said so they make their way back to Israel and we meet a, a man named Boaz who would be the kinsman redeemer, who would be the kinsman redeemer and would, would, would redeem her and her property uh, all, all for the purpose of God's redemptive purposes. From the Old Testament, we come to the New Testament. And this idea of redemption was the idea of going to the marketplace, the agora. And agora is where all sorts of things were bought and sold. And so that word for redemption um, has the idea of buying something from the marketplace. A price must be paid. This word points to Christ's saving work and is purchasing us from what? What kind of marketplace? The marketplace of sin. He purchased us from the marketplace of sin out of this marketplace. So in the ancient world, one of the major commodities were slaves. I think there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire in the first century. And they were purchased, they were redeemed out of the marketplace by their owners with a payment price. According to scripture, we're all in the bondage of sin. We're all in the marketplace of sin. In our own efforts, we cannot escape our condition. Our good works will not do it. But the glory of the gospel is that Christ has come to purchase us from the slave market of sin, to redeem us from it, to pay it with his blood and with his righteousness that we might be God's forever. God's possession forever, God's children forever. According to scripture, we're all in the bondage of sin and in our own efforts, we, can, we can't perform our own redemption. I was reminded um, of this scripture this week. Have you ever had scripture on the wall that's kind of made an impact? Of all the places, we lived in a third world apartment um, when I was in seminary. <laughs> it, and um, in the laundry room was in the center of the compound. And um, it just, thinking about that, uh, brought back a lot of memories. Anyway, so the, going to the laundry mat or the laundry room, uh, sometimes giving help to Gwen, uh, there was on the wall a framed scripture that I, every time I went in there, I looked at and thought about. And it was First Peter 1, 18 and 19 which said, knowing that you were ransomed, paid for, with the, from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold. That's not what ransomed you. Peter would say to the man in Acts 3, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And he was walking and leaping and praising God. But back to First Peter, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He has redeemed us. 
If you take in that Jesus' death on the cross was the payment to purchase you off the slave market and bondage of sin, you will come to love him as your redeemer. Could it be that you don't have love in your heart for Christ as you should because you don't see the depth that he went to to redeem you? And maybe because of that, your life seems to be purposeless. But when you come to see that he has redeemed me, I've got a call on my life. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb that I might live for his glory. And I have a destiny in Christ that saves me from my perishing. He is our redemption. 1 Corinthians 1.30 We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1.7 we were sealed for the day of redemption, Ephesians 4.30. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has brought us out of the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. There's something else I want you to see about this redemption. Thirdly, we've been bought with a price. We've alluded to it, but I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as a cross, here, cross reference here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Actually, we could go back to verse 18, which says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his, against his own body. Verse 19 and 20. Laser focus here for a moment. 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? So as a believer, we have been redeemed and a down payment of greater things yet to come is the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. It's the earnest payment of greater things to come. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? whom you have from God, or you are not your own. Verse 20, for you were bought with a price. Bought with a price. What this is saying is that the way we live matters. We've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. So glorify God in your bodies. Glorify God in your body. As a believer, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Spirit is within every believer. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him, Romans 8, 9 tells us. But when I think about the Spirit of God being a down payment of, of greater things yet to come, this earnest payment within us, this mark of redemption, I'm reminded of a statement Jesus made in the upper room discourse of John's gospel. He said in chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home in him. So one of the understandings we should have as a believer is that Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, has made his dwelling within us. We've been bought with a price for that privilege. It reminds me of a message that made a great impact in my life as a young believer entitled My Heart, Christ's Home by Robert Boyd Munger. And in a masterful journey, he takes the human heart and he breaks it down into rooms of a house. 
in describing our salvation. And he goes to the study, and this is the room of the mind, what we think about in the Christian life, interacting with Christ through this journey of his own heart. The dining room was the place of appetites and desires. The living room was a place of fellowship where he would commune with Christ. The workroom was what he was producing in his Christian life for the kingdom of God. The rec room, the place of entertainment. The bedroom, the place of intimacy and rest. And so with each of these rooms... He's having a conversation with Christ about the condition of it and what needs to change. And so one by one, the Lord went to each area and offered hope and help and a new beginning. But the sermon ends with the hall closet. After Christ had helped with the study and the dining room and the living room and the workroom and the rec room and so forth, Munger mentions, there is one more matter of crucial consequence I'd like to share with you. One day I found him, Christ, waiting for me at the front door. An arresting look was in his eye. As I entered, he said to me, there's a peculiar odor in the house. Something must be dead around here. It's upstairs. I think it's in the hall closet. As soon as he said this, I knew what he was talking about. Indeed, there was a small closet up on the hall landing just a few square feet. In that closet behind lock and key were one or two little personal things I did not want anybody to know about. Certainly, I did not want Christ to see them. They were dead and rotting things left over from the old life. Attitudes and behaviors that are not right and good for a believer to have in their life, yet I loved them. I wanted them. I wanted them so much for myself. I was really afraid to admit that they were there. Reluctantly, I went up the stairs with him. And as we mounted, the odor became stronger and stronger. And he pointed at the door and he said, it's in there. Something dead's in there. It made me angry. That's the only way I can put it. I had given him access to all the rooms of my heart. And now he was hassling me about a two-by-four closet. I said to myself, this is too much. I'm not going to give him the key. Well, he responded, reading my thoughts, if you think I'm going to stay here on the second floor with this smell, you're mistaken. I'll take my bed out on the porch or someplace else. And I saw him start down the stairs. And when you've come to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, One of the worst things that can happen is to sense him withdrawing his face in fellowship from your life. I had to give in. I'll give you the key, I said sadly, but you will have to open the closet and clean it out. I don't have the strength to do it. I know, he said. I know you haven't. Just give me the key and I'll handle it. And so with trembling fingers, I passed the key over to him. He took it from my hand, walked over to the door, opened it, entered it, took out the putrefying things that were rotting there and threw it all away. Then he cleansed the closet, painted it, and fixed it all up in a moment's time. And immediately a fresh, fragrant breeze 
swept through the house. The whole atmosphere changed. What release and victory to have the dead thing out of my life. No matter what sin or what pain there may be in your past, he's ready to forgive. He's ready ready to heal. And this happens over and over and over again in the Christian life. I can't get rid of it on my own. Lord, here's the key. That should happen every time we gather to worship. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies and the way you live. And then finally, redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. (laughs) Do you love to proclaim it? Do you love to think back of how God's redemption came into your life? When's the last time you shared that with someone? The psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. The redeemed of the Lord say so. That means they tell other people about it. I found it interesting in in Revelation 5. There's a picture of a scene in heaven of the ascended, resurrected Christ in heaven. And there's a choir of the redeemed and of angels. And you know what they sing in that heavenly choir? Revelation 5, 9, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God, ransomed people for God. They sing of his redemption in heaven. It's redemption song. He's ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The redeemed love to say so. You ever think about redemption when it's run full course? You ever think about what it means to be gathered among the redeemed of God? You know that's the end game. How can I be named among that number? The answer is through the gospel and what we've been talking about today. Your need for Christ. He's the redeemer. He went the full extent to to bring redemption through his blood that you might be forgiven. I think it's good to look to the future. To be gathered among the redeemed of God. That's how the Bible ends. Nancy Guthrie, who's written a lot of helpful books, recently interviewed um, an evangelical uh, Christian author Johnny Erickson Tata, who, whose life has been a remarkable message of hope. In 1967, Johnny Erickson um, dove into the P- Potomac River, uh, the Chesapeake River in Maryland, and it, through a diving accident was a uh, quadriplegic for the rest of her days. She's still living. In their interview, Johnny expressed an interesting perspective upon what she's looking forward to. You look, at the, you look at me in this wheelchair, she said, paralyzed for 52 years as a quadriplegic. And most people, um, and most people would think, oh, you're, you're looking forward to a new body. And yeah, that's, that's one of those fringe benefits, but I'm looking forward to the new heart, she says. 
to the new heart, a heart free of manipulating others with precisely timed phrases, a heart free of fudging the truth, a heart free from hogging the spotlight, believing my own press releases, a heart free of not believing the best of others, a heart free of caving into fear or anxiety about the future. I can't wait to have a heart free of sin. Saved, redeemed to sin no more. To be redeemed means you're destined to be with Christ in heaven. The Apostle Paul spoke of all believers when he wrote that we would be absent from the body present with the Lord with a full resurrection hope to come. To Johnny one more time and we'll, we'll close. She said, as a quadriplegic, her joy over many decades of ministry from her wheelchair has inspired many to put their hope in God. She wrote in one of her books, the first thing I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop on grateful, glorified knees. I will quietly kneel at the feet of Jesus. What a glorious hope. What a glorious redeemer. Wonderful is he. The issue is, is he your redeemer? Would you bow with me in prayer? As we come to the closing song of this service, it's a time to respond. It's a time to yield. It's a time to surrender. To the one who can save your life from destruction and crown you with loving kindness and tender mercy. And we'll point you to Jesus Christ. And for all of us, for him to walk through the corridors of our heart and for us to say, yes, Lord, it's yours. Yes, Lord, it's yours. Yes, Lord, it is yours. All I am and hope to be is yours because I've been bought, redeemed for a price. Your blood and righteousness carry the day in my life, and I yield to you. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful picture of redemption, and I pray that we would live in gratitude and obedience for the grace gift you've given to us. I pray that it would be extended today and received by anyone here who's never received it. May freedom be given and help be given for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.